Hi, I'm Josh Van Burkle. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. don't know me, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, my name is Josh and along with the team I lead Activate Christchurch and uh, I get to share this morning which is awesome. Uh, We have been doing a series called What Is God Like, right? You guys been enjoying that? It's interesting. I've really enjoyed looking into the different characteristics of God. I I read the other day that there's over, uh, what was it, like 990 something names for God uh, in the Bible, which means that if we were to pick one name every Sunday, it would take us about 20 years just to work through the names of God, right? Which is pretty awesome. Uh, but we're looking at the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. And uh, there's a great quote by a guy called A.W. Tozer. Just click on that for me, Tibor, if you can. A.W. Tozer says that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So quick recap, what we're essentially saying is that at a, at a fundamentally core level, everything we believe, everything we think, we say, we act, it's all based on how we perceive God. Whether we believe that God is real or not real, kind or unkind, distant or intimate, omnipotent or impotent, you know, every decision that we make is in some way, shape, or form filtered through this lens of how we see God. So it's not an exaggeration to say that the life that you end up leading is very much dictated by what your perception of God is. And so it's really important that we get this uh, perception right. And so we've been looking at different characteristics of God over the last uh, sort of four or five weeks. If you want to check them out, if you've missed them, just jump onto our website. The podcast is on there. But this morning, uh, I want to look at a different characteristic of God. Uh, and this was one, I think I've talked to you guys about how I had a list made up of all the cool, groovy things I was going to talk about God. And then God told me to throw the list out and basically said, I'll tell you on Monday what I want you to talk about that Sunday. All right, Denise is clapping. Uh, and so I was in the shower on Monday morning and this Bible verse popped into my head. And I wasn't thinking about the Bible in the shower. And God said, I want you to talk about this. And I said, okay, but I don't really know a lot about it. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that God is truth. Now, let me just say right from the outset that this is going to be a different kind of message to perhaps you've heard me deliver before. I'm a really big fan of delivering messages uh, that are what I call activation messages. You know, a lot of messages you hear in church are very information-based. I like to do activation. So it's like, okay, I heard Josh talk about that, and he's challenged me to go and do this during the week, or I've got to think about this, or I have to read this. Because the goal is that really, if you just come to church and listen to a guy talk and then go home, it's not overly transformational. Right? But it's, it's in the doing that our lives are kind of transformed. And so I like to deliver activation messages. But then this one, I can't get away from the fact it's incredibly intellectual. This is a theological message. Like I t- we went out for dinner last night, talked with some friends of ours that have been Christians for uh, like 25 years. And I kind of gave him the rundown. He's like, I feel like I'm in Bible college. Right? So it's a little bit, I mean, just, just brace yourself for the fact that is it, it's going to mess with your mind a little bit. Um, because... Even the statement that God is truth is a wild statement. What I should say is that God is trustworthy or God is um, truthful is what I should say, right? Instead of saying God is truth, I should say God is truthful because truthful is an adjective, 
You guys remember back to your school days, an adjective is a describing word, right? So when I got up this morning and I came into church, it was cold. It's an adjective, describes how cold it was. And then I put the headers on, so when the worship team arrived, it was warm. Nobody thanked me, but that's okay. Hey, you're welcome. I checked my phone every 10 minutes while I was at the gym. Where's my thanks? Didn't happen. It's okay. Um, so, it, you know, and we're doing a series which is it's literally called What is God Like? Right? And, a, and an adjective is a word that you use to describe what something is like. And every other word that we've looked at to describe God has been an adjective. God's holy. God's jealous. God's a rewarder. Uh, you know, God's good. God's self-sustaining. It's, they're all adjectives. But truth is not an adjective. It's a noun. And if you remember back to your school days, a noun is a person, place, or thing. It's an entity that stands alone. It's not something that you use to describe something else. It exists independently of anything else around it. So it's a really weird thing to say that God is truth because you're trying to, you're trying to join two nouns together. But this is super important, and this, forgive me, but this is where it gets intellectual it becomes incredibly important for us to understand the difference between God being truthful and God being truth. Because truthful means that, truthful literally means to communicate or express truth, right? Pat could say, I'm having a good time at church this morning. She's being truthful. She's expressing or communicating a truth. But that truth is still independent from who Pat is. So Pat can pick up truth and Pat can put truth down. I can be truthful, sometimes I pick up the truth, and then other times I am not truthful. Sometimes I just do, you know, like they call them like lies of omission, when you just allow someone to think something that you know is not right. You haven't said specifically that's wrong, but you haven't gone out of your way to correct their perception, right? But God's not like that. God is not a being who picks up truth and then puts truth down. Even though we might say, well, what's the difference? He doesn't tell lies. Like he never is not truthful. It is an important distinction because the theological question is, if truth and God are separate, then does that mean that it is in theory possible for God to lie? I told you. Right, Jesus made this statement uh, in John chapter 14, verse six. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus said about himself, and Jesus was God in the flesh, he said, I am truth. And this is really important for us to understand because if God is truth, if truth is part of God's identity, then it means that God cannot choose to pick it up and put it down because it's a part of who he is. And it's not just that God chooses to tell the truth all the time, it's that he is physically incapable of not telling the truth. Has anybody ever asked you, like some annoying person who's trying to rattle your faith, says, you know, is it possible for God to create a rock that's so big that even he himself can't move it? And you're just like, um, right. You're asking me, is, is, you know, basically what they're saying is, can God do anything? And we would say, yes, nothing is impossible for God. But that's not scriptural. Because the Bible says there are things that are impossible for God. Ugh, you think that's a shock. Wait till we get further on to the message. So 
there's this, there's a, the writer of Hebrews is, is recounting a story that took place back in the early days of the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter six. He's talking about when God came to Abraham and made him a promise. God said, hey, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. He took Abraham outside. He said, dude, look at all the stars. Can you count those? And Abraham's like, nah, man. And God says, well, you're gonna have that many descendants that you can't even count them. And Abraham's like, oh, really? And so God does this thing that was very, very common in their culture. When you made a promise to someone, but you wanted them to know that you totally meant it, you would swear or you'd take an oath that you'd keep your promise. So you'd make a promise, and then you'd be like, I, I pinky swear on top of it that I'm gonna keep it. And what you'd do is you'd find someone or something that was bigger than you, more powerful than you, stronger than you, and the idea was that they would hold you accountable for your promise. So if you broke your promise, they'd come and wail on you. And so you, I'd say to Abel, you know, I promise, man, I'm gonna be there on Sunday, and, and I swear to Kira that if I'm not there, she can beat me up, right? And it's kind of like, oh, now I've got extra level confidence that Josh is gonna keep his promise. Um, so the problem that God had though was that he couldn't take an oath on anyone because there's no one bigger or stronger than he is, right? So in Hebrews chapter six, it says, since there was no one greater to swear by, God goes, well, I guess I'll just swear by myself, which is a cute thing to do, right? He's like, dude, I wanna, I wanna be a part of this culture. I want to take an oath so that you know that I'm important, that I'm serious, but there's nothing more important or stronger than me, so I'm just gonna have to hold myself accountable. You're gonna have to be okay with it. Uh, which is awesome. We skip forward to 17. The writer of Hebrews says, so God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. This is where it gets weird. So God has given two things. God's given Abraham his promise and then he's given Abraham his oath. These two things, verse 18, these two things are unchangeable. Why are they unchangeable? Because it is impossible for God to lie. So it's impossible for God to lie. Why is it impossible for God to lie? It's because God is truth, right? It's impossible for me to not Josh. I can try and not Josh as much as I want, but I'll just end up joshing over all of you, right? I can't, I, there's nothing that I can do to change the fact that that is who I am, right? So God is is truth, which means that anything that God has ever said to you, ever in your life, must be true, has to be true, because it is impossible for God to lie. Does that make sense? Okay, here's where it gets a little bit weird, right? Because what does that mean about the devil, our enemy? Is, is he, can he tell the truth? Well, Jesus said this about the devil in John 8. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, this is where we get theological. What is truth? Who is truth? God. So there can't be any truth in the devil because God is truth. And that would mean that there was a bit of God in the devil. So even if you said, well, maybe the devil tells the truth 0.00001% of the time, it would mean that there must be 0.0001% of God and the devil, and the Bible says very clearly, there's not. So we know that it's impossible for God to lie because God is truth, and we know that it is impossible for the devil to speak the truth because there's no God in the devil. Does that make sense? Great. 
We have a problem though, because if you read your Bible, the Bible is filled with examples of the devil saying stuff that is straight up true. He even quotes the Bible, which is referred in other places to as the word of truth. So you're like, what is going on here? How can the devil not speak the truth? And yet I read things in the Bible that look like they're true. I mean, he comes to Jesus and says, the Bible says this, you should just jump off the cliff and you'll be fine. Well, that's true. The Bible does say that. So what's going on? I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a difference between what is factual, what is accurate, what can be proven, and the true definition of truth. I was talking with God about this during lockdown. There was a lot of stuff came out during lockdown a while ago, a lot of different theories around where stuff had come from and what was happening. And I remember walking down the road and I said to God, man, like, how do I, because what's true? Like, what, you know, what is true? Uh, and, and God said to me, your problem is, is that you, you have such a broad definition of truth. Like if I say I got to work at seven o'clock this morning, you'd go, is that true? I'd say, yeah. And you go, oh, well, that's truth. You know, if I say, uh, you know, I'm allergic to salmon, you go, is that true? Yeah, that's truth. And so we just go, anytime anything is accurate or factual, we just slap truth on it. But that's not what God does. And I think what we do as human beings is we become obsessed with what is factual, what's accurate, what can be proven. And God is saying, hey, there's a whole nother level of truth up here that you guys can be accessing if you want to. Does that make sense? Let me tell you a a quick story. It's not a story. Let me give you an account out of the Bible. When Jesus goes to Pilate. So back in Jesus's day, you know, he lived in Israel. He was in Jerusalem towards the end of his life. And Israel had been conquered by the Romans. And so the Romans were in charge of Israel. And they allowed the Jewish people to potter around and do their gardening and stuff and go to church. But they were ruled by the Romans. And so if the Jewish people wanted to do anything kind of mildly serious, they had to get the Romans' permission. And the guy that was sort of in charge of the area where Jesus was at the time was a guy called Pilate. And so the Jewish leaders got really ticked off with Jesus. He was just creating a scene wherever he went. He was healing people and setting people free. And, you know, religion hates freedom. So they decided we've got to get rid of this guy. So they arrested him. They dragged him to Pilate in the morning and they knock on his door and Pilate comes out and you can read this in John chapter 18 and Pilate says, what, what, what's going on here? And they say, well, we've got, we've got this guy here for you. And Pilate says, what's the charge? I, I love the response of the Jewish leaders because they don't answer the question. They just say, if he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him here, duh. That's not an answer, right? Like if I drag someone into court in front of a judge and said, here he is, your honor. And the judge said, what's he done? And I went, well, if he hadn't done something bad, I wouldn't have brought him here. Like that's not an answer at all. So Pilate rightly says, I I can't help you with this stupid issue. Just take him and sort it out yourself. And they go, nah, because we want to execute him. And we're not legally allowed to execute him without your permission. So you have to tell us that it's okay. So Pilate invites Jesus into his house, into his office. And Jesus is standing there. And and I love this little interaction because Pilate says to Jesus in John chapter 18, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Right, he says to Jesus, who who are you? What are you like? 
What's your identity? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to wrap my head around who this Jesus guy is. How many people have ever found themselves in that position where you're like, who is Jesus? Man, like, what is God like? I'm trying to wrap my head around this guy. Would he do this? Would he not do that? Would he act like this? I can't work out, you know, where to kind of fit him in. We've all been in Pilate's position. And I just think that Jesus' response is so beautiful because when Pilate says to him, I'm trying to work out who you are, and, and he slaps a label on him. I, I think you might be this guy. Are, are you like this? And Jesus says to him, well, skip through. Where is it, Tibor? There you go. Jesus says to him, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Man, that's, I could preach a whole message on that. Like that, that is Jesus' response to each and every one of us. And we go, Jesus, I heard this about you. I heard this. Are you like this? And Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, is, is that your idea? Or did someone else talk to you about me? And the truth is that this series we're doing, What Is God Like? It's so important for us, all of us, to build inside of us our own idea of who God is. Right? Don't base it on media. Don't base it on our culture. Don't base it on anything that I say or anything that you hear, it has to be your own stuff, right? You've got to take ownership for your own stuff. Read your Bible. Man, read your Bible. Christians are like, <laughs> if, if, if Christians just read their Bible more, that would help a lot, I reckon. Because you start reading your Bible, you're like, oh man, there's a lot of stuff in here that I'm not doing. I didn't even know I was supposed to do that, but now I know. Right? There's a lot of Christians that are just willfully biblically illiterate. Read your Bible. Let it never be said that you came to this church and you never heard the pastor say, read your Bible. Right? Spend time with God. You have to build your own relationship with God. Otherwise, you end up like Pilate, who's heard of Jesus. He's heard rumors of Jesus. He's got a bit of an understanding on who Jesus is, but he doesn't own it. So they have a bit more of a conversation and then Jesus makes this extraordinary statement. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Anyone ever says to you, why did Jesus come? Well, this is out of his own mouth. I came to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate says what all of us say all the time. He says, what is truth? And that's the question that we all ask all the time. What is truth? And it's the wrong question. The right question is, who is truth? And the truth is that because God is truth, it doesn't matter what he says to you, how implausible it sounds, how unproven it is, how, you know, I don't know if, what's the opposite of fact? Like, infactual it is. Like, you, you know, God says something like that, that, that is blatantly incorrect, God. Like, it's not, it's not like that at all. And God's like, yes, but my, my truth supersedes what you can see, right? And then the devil does the opposite. He comes at you with facts. He comes at you with proven theories. He comes at you with accurate statements. And yet he is nothing but deceit. And what the devil does is he says, hey, remember that you did this accurate statement and then this happened. I've got proof right here. Look at my list. And we look at that and we go, ah, oh, that's, that's true. No, because as soon as he opens his mouth, it's deceit. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus is truth. Look at what he says 
in 8, 31 and 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, that word hold, it's a Greek word, it means to abide in, to live in, to wrap around yourself, kind of through like this, this process of osmosis, you're kind of absorbing it, and when people look at you, they can't tell where you end and where Jesus' teaching begins. It's, it's just you're inhaling it everywhere you go. You're holding on to it. If you do that to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And I love verse 32. Now that we know that Jesus is truth, it says this, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Cool, right? So God is truth. Here's what we're going to do this morning because I don't know how to end it. <laughs> My brain hurts. What I want to do is just break into, and I know social distancing, but let's break into like groups of four or five. And I just want you, normally what I would do is I'd be very clear, hey, here's the one thing that I want you to take away, right? You've probably heard me say that. Here's the one thing. If you forget everything, then just remember this one thing. And I tell you what your one thing is. But this morning, I want you to decide for yourself what your one thing is going to be. There's a lot of stuff in there. You know, God is truth. That's a big thing. God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. What does that mean for the promises that God has given you? The devil cannot tell the truth, period. Doesn't matter what he says. Doesn't matter how factual or accurate it looks. It's not truth. You know, what... What Jesus said to Pilate, is that your own idea or have you been listening to other people talk about me? There's a lot of things that you can pick out of it, but I want you to decide for yourself this morning, what's the one thing that I'm going to take away from this morning, go home, talk to God about, read my Bible about, maybe do a word search on, whatever, All right, you decide. So break up into groups to spin around and say hello to people behind me.